0: find David right in the heels of this terrible decision that left him in a bad place, and now he's on the verge of making another horrible decision that's going to make things even worse for him. So because that's, as you guys know, if you can relate, that's generally what we do when we're in a downward spiral. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the golden rule, and I'm sure that all of you guys are familiar with the golden rule, and the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have others, Finish it. Do unto you. And I think most of you would agree with the golden rule. Maybe you grew up not knowing that that was in the Bible. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Which is all great, right? Until somebody mistreats you. And then when you're mistreated by others, then we want to change the golden rule into do unto others as others have done unto you, right? And in the moment, when people have mistreated you, you are mistreated, or you're mistreated by someone you love, but specifically when somebody mistreats you, you actually feel right to treat them in like kind, because it it feels natural to us. And then there's this very complicated um, scenario where it's almost impossible to see in the mirror, but if that's you, I promise you somebody else can see that in in you. And that's when you've been mistreated by someone else that you can mistreat, so you mistreat other people. Or you've been mistreated in an environment that you can't get back in that environment. So you find another environment where you can get all powered up and mistreat people in that environment. So your anger or whatever is going on inside of you, that mistreatment, what I'm saying is that it it gets telegraphed. Because the truth is, is that when we feel powerless in one relationship or an environment, we often compensate in another one, right? And, and I'll take it out on you, because I can't take it out on him or her, or I'll take it out on them. So then, we have this really weird dynamic, where we do unto others, as someone else has done unto you. And the problem, see, with getting back with people, or paying back with people in like kind, or, or, or to use the vernacular we normally use, the problem with getting even, is that it makes you even. And it makes you even. Oftentimes with someone you don't even like. And that brings us to part three of our series in the life of David. And this story takes place about 3,000 years ago. And I would encourage you, this fascinating story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I want to encourage you guys to go home and, and just read this story so this happens about a thousand years BC, before Christ, and David steps into the scene as this warrior, this Goliath killer, you know, this giant killer, and he, he was about 15 years old when he, when he killed Goliath, and he immediately becomes this folk hero, and he is popular, and he is well-known, and then something horrible happens, and as we learned last week, he becomes this fugitive. King Saul he's very jealous of David and, and David has married already one of his daughters and Saul has taken her away and David at this point is best friends with Saul's son his name is Jonathan so basically we're we're talking about David becomes this fugitive and in today's story we pick up and, with David in his fugitive years surrounded by his merry men living off the land trying to stay out of trouble trying to stay out of the way of the Philistines but but at the same time he is not feeling welcome in his own country. And here's where the story begins. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 2. He says, a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And for, li- for us, it's like, like hearing that there was a man who had a 10,000 foot, square foot house, and he drove a Ferrari, meaning this guy was super wealthy. And the story continues. His name was Nabal. And his, his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. In other words, he was actually this, this harsh. He was a pain. Nobody liked this guy. In fact, his name actually means fool. And as it turns out in the story, his name was his story. That was his ending. And the story continues. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Now, here we have to understand that shearing sheep was considered to be their, their annual paycheck. It was their, their annual financial statement. And, and this is when a person with sheep found out how wealthy they really were. And Nabal was about to find out that he was wealthier than he really was. So this was generally, as you might imagine, a payday for us, but for them it's an annual payday. This was a very festive time. Everyone's in a good mood because the owner is feeling wealthy and generous, and they've come to the end of the season, and they're about to reap the benefits of of this big paycheck. Verses, verse 6, say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. So David sends his men to Nabal with this message saying, hey. Basically, things have been going pretty well for you, and you just got richer, and guess what? You're in a good mood. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So essentially, you know, what David was saying through the messengers was, hey, if you have a prophet, part of the reason you have a prophet is because of the protection that our man gave you throughout the year. Because when we were in the wilderness, when your sheep were around us and your your workers were around us, the point is that we could have stolen some of the sheep from you, but we didn't. So consequently, there's this sense in which we protected your shepherds and we didn't steal anything. So he goes on to say, ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, would you be favorable towards my men since we come at a festive time? You know, David knew that. And then he makes the ask. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. So remember, David is in the, he, he's in the desert, so he, he needs nourishment, he needs food. In other words, since David is saying, since we were good to you, would you be good to us? Why don't, since I scratched your back, why don't you scratch my back? Since, since I was kind to you, why, why won't you be kind to us? And since we didn't steal from you, why won't you share with us? Knowing that the whole time, during this whole season, my men could have taken anything they wanted, and there's nothing that you could have done about it. Verse 9, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered their David's servants. He said, who is this David? He obviously knew who he was because he called him by David. Who is this son of Jesse? Full knowing who he is. And then he says, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Basically saying he's nothing but a slave. In other words, I know who you're talking about. I know who sent you this David guy. He, he's, he's an outlaw. He's, he's rogue. He's a fugitive. I mean, the king's after him. And besides, I didn't ask you for your help. I didn't ask for your protection. I don't know him anything. And I don't know you anything. And the story continues in verse 11. Why? Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men that coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and they went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word, at which point the soundtrack would change to something a little bit more ominous, dun, 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 you know, that, that kind of stuff. So David said to his men, strap on your sword. And they did and David strapped on his as well. So you know what's about to happen, right? You guys get the the story with me? So let's pause here for a moment to talk a little bit about self-control. Self-control is like a muscle. So is patience. So is all these virtues. They're they're like muscles, and you have to exercise them, and you have to find this rhythm of life when you have to bear down in the difficult times of, of life, and you have to work real hard. But eventually, if you don't have that good rhythm, you can wear that stuff out. So the best that we can tell from this story, David's self-control muscle is worn out. His patience is worn out. And maybe again, I'm reading too much into the story, but he's been on, on the run for several years now. He's having to live off the land when he's probably thinking I should be living in a palace. So imagine that he, he's tried to do the right thing. And when he and then when he did the wrong thing, he repented. So he's trying not to side with his enemies, with the enemies of Israel. But at the same time, Israel won't even embrace him. So he's just tired and worn out. And this is kind of the last straw for him. And maybe, as we mentioned earlier, maybe this is the case where frustration is getting the better of him. And now he's telegraphing that towards somebody that doesn't perhaps deserve it. So he, they don't deserve that wrath that he is about to unleash. But there's so much pent up inside of him. And so he says, guys, strap on your sword. And by the way, I'm ready to go myself. And and, and in our world, you've heard this before. And there's a saying that says, hurt people, hurt people. So if you've been hurt in the past by somebody, then you may go hurt somebody that didn't hurt you because hurt people hurt people. So not David's going to hurt someone because he's hurt. And he's going to hunt someone because he's being hunted. And the story continues in verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, that David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, and he, Nabal, the master, hurled insults at them. So this servant was there and witnessed the whole thing and proceeds to tell Abigail the whole story and terrifying every, I mean, uh, verifying everything that the messengers said were true. And then the servant said to Abigail, now, think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household, including the servant. So there was something in it for her, too. She wanted to feel protected. He is such a wicked man talking about Nabal that nobody can talk to this guy. Now, the text tells us next that Abigail, here's the key, acted quickly. She didn't wait. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five measures of roasted grain, which is like 60 pounds, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 kegs of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys with her servants, and then she told her servants, go ahead and I'll follow you, but she did not tell her husband. Smart girl, right? The text continues, and by the way, this is fascinating. Again, you guys should go, you guys should go home and read this story. It's It's fascinating. And as she comes riding down on a donkey, you, you, you kind of guys get the picture. You know, David's coming down the ravine. She's coming down. And David's men are snaking their way down into the ravine because she, he's going to this fertile place where that's where the sheep shearing is going on. And the Bible says, and, and she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine. There were David and his men descending towards her. So she sees the snake of men, and they are armored up and all ready to go. And they're heading down to her village. And the Bible says that she met them. So now we have this confrontation right in front of each other. Now, the cool thing, and this is where the story tells us what David was thinking at the time. When he's going down that ravine, you know, he's having this imaginary conversation. He's having these thoughts. And this is what the text tells us. David had just said, it's been useless, all of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. And what has he done? How has he responded to my goodness? And he has repaid me. He has paid me back evil for good. So David begins to do what we all tend to do when something goes wrong in our life. He begins to, in his mind, to justify what he's about to do. He begins having this, again, this imaginary conversation, kind of building up all this steam because, again, he's really not sure that's the right thing to do, but he's going to do it. And we're really not sure for us sometimes that we're supposed to be doing something. And and we have that doubt as well. But we talk ourselves into it through justification, right? By saying, well, if they wouldn't have done this or if they would have done this, either way, we justify. Now, this next part to me, it's classic. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. This is classic, I mean, almost strange if you think about it, because she is the wife of a wealthy man. David is an outlaw, outlaw, he's a fugitive, he's, he's rogue, he's basically a dangerous person to, to associate with, and it's just a matter of time before the king's men, Saul's men, catch up to him, and, and get rid of him forever from the, you know, the, from the history books. Maybe they don't even mention his name after that, Right? And here is this very wealthy woman married to this very influential man. We know he has a lot of money. And she bows down before David. So guess what this does? This catches David totally off guard. And what she begins to do is she begins to treat. uh, This is the classic part. She begins to treat David as, as as if he is already the man that she hopes he will be. As if he is already the man that she hopes he will become. Now, now, ladies, I want you guys to take note of this. I don't mean anything bad by it, but take note of this because this is the kind of stuff that works on us, meaning us men all of the time. And most of the time we know what you're doing, but we weed it up anyway. In fact, you can basically just tell us, hey, I'm about to do that thing that I do where I make you feel better about yourself than you really are. And, and we fall for it every single time. You know, you guys are patting us on the back of the head, and you're like, you know those big muscles of yours? Man, I bet you can take those trash cans out into the street with just one arm. <laughs> we eat it up, and we're like, oh, man, yeah. You want to watch? You know, we're, 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 it's, it's in us. <laughs> so Abigail, you know, she, the Bible tells us, but she, she is a smart lady, and this is, for, this is so powerful. I'm not talking about manipulation here. This is just the dynamic, and I'm telling you, she, she saves the day. She begins to speak to David's potential. She begins to look past what he's about and begins to speak about his future. And and it's so powerful. Listen to what she says, starting in verse 24. Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. In other words, you know, she's not his servant, but she's being subservient. Now... Don't think, ladies, that I'm saying that you're supposed to bow down in front of your husbands or anybody else for that matter. I'm not saying that. This is a culture where that made sense. In our culture, that would be weird, right? But it would be pretty cool to watch. But the <laughs> parallel, there, 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 there's a parallel somewhere in here in our culture. And she says, please pay no attention to my Lord, that wicked man, my husband, Nabal. How hard is that? He is just like his name and his name means fool and folly goes with him. So basically, she's saying, let's just pretend he's not here for a second. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you, she's already speaking of the future. And this is like this. She's got this Jedi mind trick going on here. And what she does is so amazing because she says, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. In other words, she's saying, I'm already saying you're not going to do this, David. And she's probably looking at all these guys. Think about how hard this would be. These guys are all just chomping at the bits to just go down and destroy something. These are David's mighty men. They were warriors. And they're all worked up. And she's like, since the Lord has kept you from doing that thing that you're about to do. She speaks of his future. And then she says, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And then she gives him credit for being better, a better man than he actually was at this time. And again, it's, it's so powerful. She says, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, speaking of his future. And, and David, God is something great in you. He's got a plan for you. God has a future for you. And here's why. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no, wrong, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. In other words, David, you're not a wrongdoer. You're deep down inside. You're a good man. And then she says this, even though, because she knows that Saul is trying to find him. Again, this guy was was almost famous. Everybody knew David. Everybody knew that he was on the run. Because she knows Saul is trying to find him. Everybody knows that Saul is looking for David. And she says, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound, and the imagery here is unbelievable, I'll explain it in a minute, the life of my Lord will be bound securely, and here's this word, in the bundle, in the bundle of the living Lord your God. Now this is so powerful, because this language that he's used for, for this bundle, we're talking about a wallet or a purse, Now, I don't know if you guys seen it in the old days, they used to kind of have this this thing where you would put valuables, most of the time it was some money, and it was kind of this leather thing, and they would wrap it up with some leather straps, I mean some leather string around it, and they would just put it, and then they would tuck it neatly into their belt. And this is the imagery that, that Abigail is using here. So essentially what she is saying is that even though somebody is trying to steal your life, like a thief will steal a coin, even though someone is trying to steal your life, David, your life is stuck away safely in God's wallet. In other words you're buried in the in the bottom of a woman's purse another another lady uh, reference there but just real quick I have to say something about purses just for a second Olivia's not here to defend herself but my wife if you don't know her she is super organized she's like the most organized person that I know but sometimes she says to me oh it's in my purse and I, I have to take this deep breath because I got to go in there and find something. And, and I mean, she's, she's awesome, I'm telling you. But when she says, oh, it's in my purse, panic sets in. And I don't think I'm mature enough to go in there and find something because there's just so much stuff in there. Anyway, so, so, so Abigail uses this imagery, but then she says, but the lives of your enemies. Now, this is brilliant because she, she's kind of, she's doing this thing and that if we read into the scripture and we read it so quickly, we miss it. But she's doing this thing that at the moment takes David back to when he was 15 and he was about to face Goliath, when he was dependent on God. And Abigail is so smart, she takes David back to that. Listen to what she says. She says, but the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away. Remember the sling? He will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Isn't that amazing that she was able to use those words to take David back to that moment? It's like she mentions this sling, and all of a sudden David is back in that moment when he is completely dependent on God. When he wasn't having to take matters into his own hands. And now she speaks to his future, telling you this this Abigail girl, she's a genius. And in this next section, and maybe for some of you, this is the point of this message. In this next section, she essentially asks without asking this powerful question that we should ask ourselves all the time. She asked this question, David, what story do you want to tell when it's just a story to tell? David, when you're looking back in this incident, and this is nothing but a story that you want to tell, what story do you want to tell? What do you want to say about this moment? And here's what she says, when, because this is, she says this is going to happen. Verse 30, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and, his, and has appointed him ruler over Israel. In other words, one day when you're the king, my Lord will not have this conscience of, of a staggering burden of needless bloodshed bloodshed, or of having avenged, avenged himself. And I mean, he, he's just, at this point, I think I see David just kind of melting. And she goes on and on and David's just melting. And it's like, David, one, one of these days when this is just a story to tell, what do you do in this moment, David? It's going to become a permanent part of that story. And I'm believing that you're going to want to change your mind, David, because what story? Do you want to tell the story of needless bloodshed? Is that what you want, David? And suddenly, David comes to his senses, and his, his emotional temperature just starts to drop, and he starts to see things in a brand new way because of Abigail. Then David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. I have been saved by this woman, this intelligent woman, he's saying. May you be blessed for your good judgment. He's saying, hey, you have good judgment. You are smart. You didn't, and you didn't keep it to yourself, and because of that, and you came down here with all this food for me and my men. I mean, Abigail, that, that's, that's, that's very smart. He, you bowed down before me, and, and you... you totally threw me off guard. Praise be to God for sending you such a time as this, David is saying. Bible goes on to say, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands, because he knew better. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and I've granted your request. He says, I'm not going to destroy you or your husband or his household or his workers What a smart woman. Look what happens next. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet. Remember this is a festive time, just like that of a king, and he was in high spirits, and he was very drunk. So she gets back, and and he's just having this big party, and he's drunk, and she thinks, this is probably not a good time to tell him anything. So she told him nothing until daybreak, so she waits till he's sober. And then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things. And at that time, the Bible says that Nabal's heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And when we fast forward to verse 39, it says that then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. And it goes on to tell us that Abigail acted quickly, got on the donkey. She was attended by her five female servants. And when David's messengers came to pick her up, she left with them, became his wife, and they lived happily ever after. Well, isn't that great? I made up the happy ever after part. Because just to put that into context, nobody really lives happily ever after when you become one of somebody's wives, plural, right? So in summary, here's what we have. We have three characters, and we have three different responses. We have one here on the story, and it wasn't David. Nabal, what does he do? He returns evil for good. You know, because David, we know, took care of his stuff, and he said, hey, I'm not going to share with you. So Nabal, he's this maniacal, nobody wants to be like him kind of guy. David was about to return evil for evil, wasn't he? Which makes sense, almost natural, especially in that day and age it made a lot more sense but David here he's predictable he, he, he again he's just kind of one of us now abigail sees things completely differently and through her lens and through her unique perspectives she essentially returns good for evil and when you read the story again the one thing that you can miss and you would agree is that abigail i mean she's just remarkable Her response is remarkable. Her judgment is remarkable. Her approach, her words are remarkable. I mean, the whole story is just remarkable, right? And and then when you read on and you you take the story and you cross-reference the story, it's so cool. And you go into the New Testament to see what the New Testament says about the story. Peter, you guys remember the apostle Peter? Peter, who saw Jesus unjustly arrested, unjustly crucified, saw Jesus innocent and sinless and just treated horribly by everyone, but yet he got to see Jesus' response. That Peter, Peter who saw all of that, he speaks these words to Christians in the first century who were being unjustly treated. And he doesn't go all David on us and says, you know, strap on your swords. He goes all Jesus on us, and this, this is what he says in 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And he's saying, hey, guys, I know even though it's natural, even though someone might have done something bad to you and they might have done it to you on purpose, and even though they might deserve it, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. No, not even on social media where there's really no repercussions on the contrary, he says, take one step further. Repay evil with blessing or good. He's not just saying, don't leave things alone. When you're mistreated, you, don't, you just don't ignore it or you go neutral or you don't do anything. No, he says, you take it further. You go positive and you go blessing. That's a step further. This is what Peter taught. And this is what Abigail did. And he would say to Christians in the first century, and he would say to Christians in this century, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then this, this is a, somewhat even a little strange to me in some ways. Then Peter, in the first century, quotes David from a thousand years earlier when David w- was in journal mode and starts writing all these things down of this story that we just read. And you can find that in Psalm 34. But Peter goes on to say in the New Testament in First Peter, he says this, for whoever would li- love life... And see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. And again, Peter is writing to Christians who are being mistreated specifically because of their faith. And and we have to ask ourselves, where did Peter get this crazy idea? Do not return evil for evil, but return good for evil. Respond to evil with a blessing is what he's telling us. Where did he get this? Well, he got it from witnessing the master himself, Jesus Christ. He didn't just hear it. He saw it. He, he experienced it. He witnessed it. And he was there that the Jesus made this famous statement from the Sermon on the Mount that, that most of us maybe a thousand times have heard when Jesus stood and said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because remember the old covenant, the Old Testament, that was okay. An eye for an eye. But I tell you, and then Jesus turns everything completely upside down, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, do not return evil for evil. So if you're a a Christian, a believer in Christ, refusing to respond in like kind might be the most Christ-like thing that you ever do. If you ever want to talk about somebody becoming a Christian and they don't know Christ... The way you act in this area alone may be the greatest thing that you can do as a believer. To respond in like kind, or to put it in a big theological term, may be the most incarnational thing that you do as a Christian. So, as I close, I have three questions that I want you guys to take home with you and think about. I always have questions because I have questions for myself, not just because of you. The first question is Do I really want to get even? with someone I don't even like? Think about that for a second. You don't, right? To get even with someone you don't even like is to become like them. Why would you do what they do or act like they do? You wouldn't. Wouldn't it be better instead to to get ahead and and you get ahead by by refusing to get even? The second question is, what story, this is a, fascinating question for me as well think about this what story do you want to tell see all of us find ourselves in the middle of a story of our lives and eventually you're going to have to tell this story or your kids are going to tell tell this story for you what story are they going to tell about you that you responded in like kind because you needed to defend yourself going back to David's life there he is sitting on a mule on a donkey about a hundred yards for making one or another decision. But Abigail stops him and speaks to his future, and she says, do you really want this in your conscience, David? Is this really the story that you want to tell? Can you imagine if he would have gone on with that, and then he goes on and keeps slaughtering people? Remember the week before, a whole village was killed because of David's lies. Do you want to go around slaughtering people, and eventually you're going to become king because people fear you, not because they placed you there? Is that really the story that you want to tell, I mean, uh, David? Because I think that's a question that we should all ask ourselves. What story do we want to tell? And then there's this third question. And again, that if you're a Christ follower, this is like Jesus' basic 101. What would it look like for you and for me to return good for evil? When you think about that bad experience, when you think about him... Or her, or when you think about your ex, or your ex-employer, or what they have done to you, or maybe what your son and your daughter hasn't done. Uh, When you think about your parents that hurt you, when you think about that neighbor that's been a pain, what would it look like in that specific incident, in that specific context, context, in that specific relationship, what would it look like to return good for evil? And to use Peter's word, what would it look like for you to be a blessing to someone who's hurt you or offended you? Not just do nothing. I'm not just going to ignore them and not be proactive. Because you see, to do nothing, that's called mercy. Here's what you deserve, and I'm not going to give it to you. So that's called mercy. But to actually, what Peter is saying here is to actually do something that they don't deserve. That is grace. To take it a step further, if you're a Christian, this is how our story intersects with the story of salvation. And this is, for us, folks, the best opportunity to be like our Father in heaven. But here's the thing. In America, we're all generous, we're all compassionate, and I think that's obviously the Christian thing to do. It's very important, but it's also predictable. But this, returning good for evil, that's not expected. That takes you from predictable to remarkable like Abigail. That's what sets us apart. But the only way to get free sometimes from some of the people that have hurt us is to do exactly what they do not deserve for you to do to them and to be just like our Father in heaven. So here's what David would tell us. Here's what Abigail would tell us for sure. Don't settle for even. Even is easy. And don't settle for predictable. And don't write a predictable story. Make it remarkable. Because at some point, this is nothing but a story that you tell. In other words, do precisely for others what they don't deserve. And when you do, you're like your father in heaven. Because like Peter says, this is is what we've been called to do. Will you pray with me? Lord, what you're asking us this morning is nothing short of difficult, to say the least, because we all know that, and yet I don't think there's one of us in here that could say, I don't do that, I don't try to respond in like kind, and I don't get all worked up when somebody does something wrong to me or my loved ones. Lord, so we thank you for the story of Abigail, for that example, for someone who just speaks into our future and tells us that you have a perfect plan for us. So, Lord, first I pray that we would be able to understand that you are for us, that you are not against us, that you want what's best for us. And no matter what we're going through, Lord, that if we seek you first and foremost, then all things will be added onto us. Lord, and then I pray for anyone here that may be struggling with this concept of pain repaying good for evil. Lord, I pray that you just do that thing that we can't do and that that you would stir in our hearts, that you would convict our hearts, that you would allow us to be a different people as a result of hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.